Turn the monitors down on this. Okay. Test. Turn the monitors down on this mic. Test. 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 Down. Testing. One, two. Okay. This morning I want to talk about spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts for is one question. Another question is why does God give them to us? And these are a couple questions that I hope today, before we're done here, that we can answer. Ben Paisley of Woodland Park, California, or Colorado, once said that the gifts we have been given are one of God's chief means of conveying his grace and love to all people, with the gift of Christ being the supreme demonstration. Let me read that one more time. The gifts we have, been, we have all been given are one of God's chief means of conveying his grace and love to all people, with the gift of Christ being the supreme demonstration. When we look at that way, look at it that way, we see that God uses our gifts to show his love. And when we do that, it puts the attention in the right place. It puts the attention on God and not on us. So we are given gifts, but the gifts are not to lift us up. They are to share and enable us to share the love of God with other people. It takes, when we look at it in that perspective, it also takes away the idea that the person with the gift is special. It's not the person that's special. We are not supposed to stand in awe and take notice and, and admire that person that has a gift because the gift they have is only something that God gave them anyway. And again, the person is not special, but the gift is special. When we put the focus on the gift and not the recipient, we see things the way they should be. Again, it's a gift that is used to show the love of God and to help others. We are simply the vessel. When we properly use the gifts that God has given us, we are actually loving people on behalf of God. Amen. When we use the gifts that God has given us, we're actually loving God, loving people on behalf of God. And this should cause us, when we really get a grasp of that, it should cause us to feel the weight or the importance of the gifts that we've been given so that we use the gift wisely and not withhold them for personal use or use them for fame or notoriety or financial gain, which some people do. They, they have received a gift from God, and, and maybe they've, they've used this gift to a point to where they're, they're able to, to use this gift, but then they find themselves not using it just for God's glory, but for their own fame and fortune and their own glory. And that's not what it's for. Gifts are God's way of providing for his people. And we'll get into what the individual gifts are in just a little bit. But I, wanted, I want us to look at the, the, and set this all up so that when we talk about the gifts, it makes more sense as to why we are given this. The ultimate example of gifts being the way that God provides for his people is at the very foundation of our salvation. It's the gift of Christ. 
without Christ, without God saying that I will, I will send my one and only Son to the earth to be killed, the greatest gift ever given, without that we would not have salvation. I want to look at some historical background to our scripture text before we start reading. About the time that Peter was writing 1 Peter, the emperor of Rome, his name was Nero, he had started blaming Christians of that day on a fire that burned a significant portion of Rome. And what that did is when the Christians all of a sudden were blamed for burning Rome down, it began a shift in opinion towards the Christians. They began to be regarded as a prohibited religion, uh, no longer just a sect of Judaism. You see, since Christianity and Jesus was a Jew and Christianity came along, it was considered just a, another sect or a portion of Judaism, and so it was accepted automatically. But now Nero pointed out specifically the Christians and said they burned down Rome, which they didn't, and because of that, they weren't protected under Roman law anymore. Judaism was protected, but now Christianity wasn't. And without that protection, local governments could make laws against Christians. So there was persecution coming, and Peter knew it. Many, believe, many Bible scholars believe that Peter was preparing his readers for the impending persecution by pointing to the willingness of Jesus to suffer. And we see in this he talks about the suffering of Christ. And he was saying that this was the ultimate gift that God gave to us for our salvation. And he, Jesus suffered, and you might have to suffer also. And because of the turmoil ahead for his readers, Peter urged them to pursue the will of God, love each other, and faithfully use their gifts to minister to each other. He was saying there's going to be some hard times coming. There's going to be some difficult things coming. But what you have to do is you have to have love like Jesus had love for you, that he was willing to give his life. You have to love each other, and you have to use the gifts that God has given you individually to minister one to another in this time of persecution. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter covered a lot of ground in six scriptures here. He covered everything from suffering and righteous living to clear-minded thinking and prayerfulness, from loving deeply and offering hospitality to the stewardship of God's gifts and exercising them in God's strength for God's glory. That's a lot to cover in a short passage. And that's what I want us to look at starting today. The fact that, that Peter was so concise and straightforward, I believe, con conveys a sense of urgency on his part. It's clear that he wanted, if we read this, maybe next week, sit down and read this scripture again, this passage of scripture, you can see that he wanted his believers, the readers, to understand how to carry on in all aspects of the faith 
no matter what may happen to them in the future. No matter what happens to you, this is what you need to do. Persecution will come. Sure it will. But this is how you need to live. And some people would say, well, that's an awfully negative. No, it's realistic. If Peter would have said, you know, now that you're saved and we've got this Christianity thing started, everything's going to be good. So just kind of sit back and just coast along and it's going to be good. What would have happened to the first sign of persecution? People would have run off. He was being real with them. Just like today, that it would be wrong for me to stand up here today and say, you know, this next few months is going to be great here in the United States. It might be. But I think it's going to be awfully tough. I think things are going to get tough. They might get really, really difficult. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change the ability of God. What it does, it calls us to follow what Peter was telling the believers back in that day, that we need to love each other, we need to lift each other up, and we need to use the gifts that God has given us to help one another. That's what, it's, that's what it calls us to do. In verse 1, Peter said that we as believers are done with sin. He begins chapter 4 by encouraging his readers to have the same attitude towards suffering as Christ showed in his willingness to die and suffer on their behalf. He was saying that we need to have the attitude of I will suffer for the sake of Christ if that's what's asked of me. It's going to be hard to suffer for the sake of Christ if sin is not done. And that's why he threw in at the end, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And it doesn't mean that, that a person, once they're saved, will never slip. Although it does mean that we are not supposed to go around looking for places to slip. Remember Paul said, and I'll paraphrase this, in Romans 5 and 20 through Romans 6 and 2. This is my version of my paraphrasing of this. Where sin is increased, grace increases even more. And the people said, well, does that mean we ought to go out and sin more so there'll be more grace? And Paul went, no. Don't be stupid. Something like that. By no means. That doesn't even make sense. But the people were asking that. Well, if there's more grace where there's more sin, then let's just go sin some more. No, that's, and that's not what Peter was saying either. Peter's saying that when we have come to Christ, we are done with sin. Now, there might be times that we slip up a little bit, but we are done with sin. I think what Peter's saying that, that we are, we're through with the direction that sin takes us in. We're through with a life that is led by sin. We're through with sin's claim to our life. That's right. That's right. When we consider Christ's death on the cross, it should cause us to pursue the will of God rather than the lust of the flesh. Amen. When we, if we really take it in as to what God has done for us and what Jesus did on the cross, it should cause us to have this desire, this hunger for righteousness as opposed to the things of the world. And that's what Peter was addressing here. Our response to the, the love that Christ showed should be a rejection of, of all the evil human desires. 
should cause us to seek after following after Christ. Verse 3, Peter goes on, and he actually named some of the stuff. He knew that most of his, his readers came from a background of paganism and idolatry, and he named off some of the stuff that they were doing. Pretty bad stuff. Those were the things he was talking about. I think what he really was saying here is, here are some of the things, but not limited to these things. And he went through all the things that the pagans do, including worshiping false gods. And then he, Peter was so, remember Peter was not a, an overly educated man. He was a fisherman. And when he spoke and when he wrote, he wrote things, I think, in a way that were, were very understandable, more so than some other writers. He was saying, these are the things you used to do. And you're not going out and doing them anymore. And because of that, it might be a little bit uncomfortable when you get around those people that you used to hang out with. He said, don't think it's strange that people wonder why you're not out doing those things. The changed lives of believers resulted in, some cases, surprise to some of their friends, going, whoa, what happened to you? And in other cases, it caused ridicule to come from their former associates. Things like, why aren't you partying with us anymore? You too good to party with us? Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah. Man. That's what Peter was saying when he said that they heaped abuse on them for not continuing to participate in their excessive and immoral behavior. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. These are all the things you used to do. Now when you go around to your former friends, they're going to remind you of all those things and they're going to say, why aren't you doing those things anymore? And they might even pick at you a little bit. Peter encouraged his readers and for us today, to remember that someday everyone, those people that are still out doing that, everyone will give an account to the Lord for their actions. That's what he said. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The fact that the ones attacking him, those people, you yourself, all your Friends and family, no matter where you stand at that time, at some point, everybody will stand before God in, in judgment. And that also should be an incentive to pursue God as opposed to those worldly interests. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 9. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The thought of eventual judgment, and that's what Paul had just talked about in the previous scripture, but the thought of eventual judgment naturally led Peter to comment on the return of the Lord. Jesus didn't say when he would return. He just said it could happen any time. And that's what we are supposed to proclaim today, that 
we, we don't know when he's going to come back. There's a lot of people who have tried, and they've set dates, and they've said he'll come back on this date, didn't happen, and they change it and say he'll come back on this date, didn't happen. You know what? At some point you would think people would give up on that. Because the Bible specifically says that no man knows the day or the hour. And then there's other people say, well, yeah, but he told me the year. <laughs> no, he didn't. Nobody knows when he's coming back. But we have to realize that it, it, it could be any time. Peter and Paul both express this view in the writings that Believers should live in an expectancy of Jesus' return. We need to live every day like it could be in the next minute. In verse 8, Peter starts in, into a, a direction that, that we're going to follow today. He commands his readers to love each other deeply. I believe that love one for another should characterize all of our actions toward other believers. I believe that we need to love one another. And I believe that this church, it certainly does. I was talking to someone last week who's only been to this church one time, and this lady said, you know, there's something about your church that I felt when I walked in, and, and as I was there, that there is this tremendous love in that place. Heard that from a lot of people. And Peter was saying, that's how we should love one another, deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. The word deeply, I believe, provides a, it pictures a strenuous, a sustained effort such as that of a, an athlete competing for a prize. Not just to, to love casually and to say, yeah, I love you, but to love to a point to where, where it, it, you mean it from your heart, where, where it's, it's, it's effort put into it to love someone. I believe Peter was saying that there needs to be action as well as hard work as we visibly show our love one for another. Why? Because Peter was saying there's going to be some tough times coming and you need to love each other deeply and uphold each other and use the gifts that God has given you to help each other. Now honestly... You know it takes a little bit more work and action to love some people than others. And I've prepared a list here. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. It's possible. It's possible that Peter brought this subject of loving other believers deeply because of the stress that he knew that people would be under, and what stress under those conditions can do to people when they're persecuted. And I believe Peter was saying, if you get into the habit of loving people deeply now, when the persecution comes, you'll already be loving people that way. That's right. That's a good point. God had to point that out to him specifically to love others, no matter if they were Jews or Gentiles. Because Peter was like, no, I'm just here to teach to the Jews and preach to the Jews. 
I believe that he was trying to say something that would cause them to turn inward and be concerned if we're not careful, what will happen? The persecution comes, and, and if we're not already loving others, the persecution will cause us to turn inward and become concerned with our own problems as opposed to others. And we won't reach out because we'll be worried about us. And that's what Peter was trying to eliminate. When, when problems come and when persecution comes, we don't need to, to find ourselves huddled up in the corner somewhere. We still need to be reaching out to other people. Because Peter recognized that if that happened, and when persecution came, if people split off from the group and, and drew to themselves, that it would undermine the basic element of the Christian community life, and that is that they love each other. What would have happened to the early church had people not had that kind of love for each other? I don't believe we would have Christianity as we know it today. In verse 8, Peter quotes Proverbs 10 and 12 saying that love covers a multitude of sin. And we've heard that passage probably many times before and it, it does not mean that love covers up sin it doesn't mean that our love atones for other people's sin i believe what the intent of the proverb when it was originally written is that love does not stir up or broadcast the sins of others rather love will cause us to pray for those who sin as opposed to prying into their sins. There's a concept. Praying instead of prying. Well, why don't you tell me what it is and that way I can pray better for you. You don't need to know. If somebody says pray for me, then pray for them. They, you don't need to know all the details. There you go. We are to be forgiving toward them just as Christ has forgiven us. And the reason is that we can be forgiving toward others because through Christ we have been forgiven of probably a whole lot more. And that's what Peter was saying. Look all the way from the beginning of this passage to up till now. Peter is setting this up, comparing the love of Christ to the love that we should have, what, what God has forgiven us for compared to how we should forgive one another. Why? Because he wanted the church of that day, that his readers, he wanted them to draw closer so that they could help each other when tough times came. That's right. Lift each other up. In verse 9, Peter talked to them about showing hospitality to those around him. And often showing love to travelers, other believers that were traveling through the area, was a way to demonstrate this kind of love. And even though it might be difficult, Paul was, or Peter was saying, to do it without grumbling. When you take somebody in and you're doing it for somebody, don't grumble about it. Do it out of love. I believe that when we, when we do something for somebody, even if we are doing it sacrificially and we're doing it, when we start to grumble, we start to lose our blessing for it. Because what we're saying is, we really don't want to do it, we're just doing it because we have to. And that's not what Peter was saying. 
We show that hospitality. We do the things that we do for others because of love. And because of the love that's been shown us, we are being an example to others of that because we have the ultimate example. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And this is where we get to the real heart of the lesson today. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter divides gifts into two main groups. Those that involve speaking and those that show themselves through acts of service. The speaking gifts we, we're all pretty well familiar with. It's things like teaching and uh, preaching, evangelism, or any other special ability to communicate God's love and word. Those things that we, we verbalize. But those aren't the only gifts that God gives. The other group of that was the gifts of service. And the gifts of service display themselves through practical acts of kindness. Or in areas of service that are so necessary for the church to continue to function. You see, if all we ever had in the church was gifts of, of, of speaking ministry, at some point the church would get to looking pretty bad. People would come in and nobody would meet them at the door. And we'd say, yeah, but we're just a, we're just a church of teaching and preaching. You see, that's not, that's not the whole Bible. That's not all that Peter talked about. Those aren't all the gifts that are there. There are, yes, there are gifts of teaching and preaching and those verbal things, but there's also those gifts of service that are just as important. Why? Because they support each other. For all of the gifts, and especially for the gifts of service, we must depend on the Lord for strength. That's what Peter said. If we rely on ourselves, it won't be long before we move, lose our focus on the eternal value of what we're doing. And then we'll be tempted to grumble like Peter mentioned in verse 9. If we're out working for the Lord in, in acts of service and we're not doing it for the right reason and we lose sight of the goal and, and the real purpose for why we're doing it, at some point, it's not going to be any fun anymore. And then when it's not fun anymore, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves griping about it, grumbling. God's will is that we deeply depend on His enabling in our service toward others. I believe this is vital so that we don't become, as, as one of the writers in the Bible said, so that we don't become weary and well-doing. We're doing and doing and doing for the work of God and for the kingdom. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves just being exhausted because all of a sudden we find that we're doing it on our own power and we've lost the focus of why we're really doing it. 
Also, it's important that we keep our focus so that we don't become lifted up in ourself over our gift. Look what I'm doing. Did you see what I did? Let me tell you about what I did. That's right. The gifts that we receive from God do not exist to provide us with status or glory or to reveal to others how much God must love us. Look how much God loves me because see what I'm doing? I'm working in the kingdom. I must be special. No, the gift you have is special. And he can take it away and give it to somebody else anytime. And they could do that same thing. We can't get lifted up in ourselves because we're doing something that God gave us the ability to do. We exist as stewards of the gift. That's all we are. God has given us these gifts, these individual gifts, for one purpose, and that's for us to take care of them and to bless others with these gifts. It's not that we're so great. It's that God is so great that He looks past our faults and gives us these gifts. Amen. If He only gave them to the ones that deserved them, there wouldn't be a whole lot of gifts around. Exactly right. That, that's exactly right. I was driving home the other night. Ruthie was behind me driving. And the display on my radio wasn't working in the car. And I couldn't tell what station it was on, which I really hate that. Because you try to find a station, you, you just have to wait until they come on and tell you what station it is. So I'm driving down the road. I'm messing with the radio, trying to find something to listen to. And I stumbled across a man talking on the radio. And what he was saying really caught my ear, and I actually left it on that station, which is unusual. I'm quite the station surfer. And I still don't know what station he was on. The man's name was, and probably still is, Chip Ingram. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. Incredible speaker, but what he was saying was what really caught my ear. As I listened to what he was saying, I thought, wow, I can't believe the timing on this. This is exactly what we're talking about in Sunday school this Sunday. And I was obviously caught up in it because I'm going down the road, and all of a sudden I get a phone call, and it's Ruthie, and she's asking me where I am. I said, I'm driving. Well, in the meantime, while I'm listening to this, she had passed me, and I guess she thought I broke down somewhere because I was driving so slow, which is not really me. So I got off the phone, and I listened to, to what he had to say. And when he was finished, I went back to surfing channels again, again, not being able to read the little readout. So I'd push the seek button, and it'd land on a station. I'd push it, and it'd land on a station. 
And I hit the seat button, and it landed on this station. I hear this voice. It was the exact same man talking about the exact same thing on a different station about 15 minutes later. And I thought, okay, I get it. Sometimes God has to speak to me a couple times for me to catch on. So I'm borrowing some ideas from what I heard since they fit so well into what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Brother Ashley, would you pass these out this morning? I don't usually do handouts, but I just thought this was exceptional. And as we continue to talk, it'll be something we can refer back to. Thank you very much. This is where the music plays. Right. But it verified my opinion was pretty much right. Well, good. That's great. Let's read um, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Don't jump ahead of me here. Stay with me and we'll go through this together. Here's what Paul wrote to the, the Romans. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy... Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So let's take these one at a time. First, there was prophecy. Prophecy is the divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity in a timely and culturally sensitive fashion for correction, repentance, or edification. The ability to reveal God's Word accurately. And the person that has this gift, this is how, this is how they react to this gift. They ask the question, what went wrong? What caused this? They look at all of the events, and then they look and say, well, what caused all this? And, and what all went wrong? Then there's a gift of service. The gift of service is the divine enablement to attach spiritual value to the accomplishment of physical tasks within the body of Christ. Ability to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs that releases other Christians for direct spiritual ministry. People with this gift ask, what can I do to help? In other words, what they're saying is, let me do the things, the hands-on things. Those things that, that have to be done and they're tasks that, that have to be done. They're not in the limelight. But if I do these things, it will free others up to do the things that, that are in a different portion and part of the ministry. You see, if, if the pastor had to come out and mow the yard and, and, and clean the building and and do all the stuff, it takes away from the time that he could use studying, preparing for sermons, and all of those things. And this is the person with service is saying, Lord, show me the things that I need to do so that I can, I can do my part and fulfill my gifts 
to free a person that has a different ministry up to do their gift. See, we all have different gifts. Gift of teaching. The divine enablement to understand and give detailed explanation of biblical truth. The ability to search out and validate truth, validate truth that has been presented. People with this gift, this is what they ask. What is truth? Where did you get that and why? They seek out the details of things so that when, when they present it to the people they're teaching to, the people go, oh, that's what that means. Because they have sought it out in a way that God gave them the ability to, to proclaim it in a way that people could understand it. Amen. Gift of exhortation or encouragement. The divine enablement to come alongside another in need of encouragement to reassure, strengthen, affirm, and challenge those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. Ability to stimulate the faith of others. And people with this gift in a situation would ask, what must be done to fix this? What do we have to do to fix this? How can we move on from where we are to where we need to be? The gift of giving. The divine enablement to earn money, manage it well, and wisely contribute to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and liberality. They also possess the ability to entrust some of their personal assets to others for the furtherance of their ministry. This is a person that has a unique ability to, to make money. Everybody doesn't have that ability. There are some people that, that just don't seem to have that ability. Sometimes I question mine greatly. And, but there are those that have the, the, that gift of, of earning, but they don't just earn it so that they can hoard it. They also have this ability to, to give it to others for the furtherance of ministry. That's right. That's right. They are able to not only earn it, but to manage it and hold on to it and use it wisely. And again, this is not one of those gifts that, you know, is a pulpit ministry. It's not a, a pulpit gift where they're up front speaking these great things. These people are behind the scenes. They're making money and they're, they're managing it well. They're building it into wealth. And then they're able to take this money and place it into ministries in different places. Why? So it can continue. And these people with the gift, they ask the question, what can I give to meet the need? Gift of leadership. Now, these are not my gifts that I made up. These are gifts that Paul presented in the Scripture we read. Gift of leadership. The divine enablement to see what needs to be done, set goals, and attract, lead, and motivate people to accomplish the work of the ministry. The ability to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. This is the person that steps up and says, okay, here's what we got to do. Everybody listen up. Here's what we're going to do. You do this, you do this, you do this. We're going to go in this direction. Here's where we're going to end up. I'll see you there in 30 minutes. That's that leadership. And this person with this gift, they ask, where's the goal? Just show me where the goal is and I'll figure out how to get there. Then there's that gift of mercy. The divine enablement of to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people who are suffering 
or undeserving, and to spare them from punishment or consequences that are justly deserved. They have the ability to identify with and comfort those who are in distress. And people with this gift ask, what can I do to make it better? So those are those gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. And there's a story that I want to use this morning. This is what I heard Chip Ingram talking about the other night. And, and to explain these gifts maybe to where they make a little bit more sense to us. Everybody stay with me just for a few more minutes. There was a Christian banquet being held at a church. It just so happened that there were exactly seven leaders sitting at the head table. It also just so happened that each of these people at the head ta table possessed one of the gifts we just looked at. So we got the picture. Head table, seven people. Each one of them possesses one of these gifts we just went over. As they begin to serve dessert after dinner was through, a waiter comes out of the kitchen carrying a platter, tray, full of dessert, and as he's walking past the guest speaker for the night, one of the other waiters that's clearing tables backs up into him, knocks him down, the tray goes flying, ice cream and chocolate syrup everywhere, goes all over the speaker for the evening. And all of this happens right in front of this table where these seven people that each have one of these seven gifts are sitting. And all of a sudden, the gifts go into action. And this is how it works. Stay with me here. The person with the gift of prophecy says, I can see this coming. I knew it was going to happen. You don't bring out dessert while you're clearing the tables. Their motivation was to correct the waiter's life. I could see this coming, said, here's what I can do to fix it. The person with the gift of mercy says to the waiter that's sitting there on the floor that's just thrown chocolate syrup all over the guest speaker for the evening, this person says, oh, don't feel so bad. It could happen to anyone. It's okay. That gift of mercy. And their motivation is, how can I relieve the embarrassment of this person? How can I take away what this person is feeling at this minute because they just feel like they just ruined this entire banquet all on their own? What can I do to alleviate the pain that this person's feeling? The person with the gift of serving jumps up, grabs a towel, runs over there, let me help, all the while they're, they're picking up pieces of dishes and wiping chocolate syrup off of people, trying to clean the carpet. You know who you are. And their motivation is to fulfill the obvious need. There's a mess here, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it cleaned up. And the person with the gift of teaching realizes that people with the gift of teaching a lot of times think that they're just a whole lot smarter than everybody else because they're just so intellectual. And the person with the gift of teaching says, well, the real reason the accident happened is not what you think at all. The real reason it happened is because that tray was off balance with how many desserts were on each side of it is. In addition to that, I noticed that the, the waiter was wearing the wrong kind of shoes for this kind of floor. 
And if you wear those kind of shoes on this kind of floor and you have the tray off balance, this kind of thing is bound to happen. The motivation of the teacher is to discover why it happened. The person with the gift of exhortation jumps up and says, Hey, next time I got, I got an idea. Next time, why don't you just serve the dinner and the dessert together and then it won't ever happen that way. Motivation of the gift of exhortation is to correct it so it doesn't happen again. And the person with the gift of giving looks around, says, okay, we have a, a ruined suit here, a microphone that's broken, carpet that's stained. We rented this church, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you my jacket to wear while you're speaking, and I'll buy you a new suit when this is all over with. And looking around, this is a beautiful church we've rented here, and we've ruined their carpet. And carpet was probably due to be replaced anyway, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give the first $5,000 to replace the carpet in this church if everybody will just pitch in with me. Who will do that? Motivation. Relieve a need. This is the person that looks around and goes, okay, I know there's a need and I, I'm able to take care of this or I'll do part of it. Let me step up and say, I'm going to do my part and then, come on, y'all, we'll get this done. And the person with the gift of leadership says, okay, Jim, you get a broom, Tom, you get a mop, uh, Sue, you help pick Mary up off the carpet over there. Uh, let's get one more dessert for this table. Uh, Don, that song you sang earlier, why don't you go up and sing that song while we're doing this? Go ahead, go and sing it right now. Everybody, Don's going to sing that song you sang early. About 15 minutes, we'll be back up and ready to go, just like now. Motivation. Get things back in order. Fix things. So there's all those gifts. Each one had their own place. Each one could only do what their gift was because if they stopped doing their gift to go help someone else, their gift didn't get done. And I believe just today, just as Paul said, just as Peter said, that each one of us here today should possess at least one of these spiritual gifts. The thing is, we just need to recognize which one we have. We also need to guard against feeling that our gifts exist for our own benefit. Because after all, they're not our gifts at all. They're God's. And He has just entrusted us with those gifts to serve others. All of these things that happened at this event, all that these people did were just ways of helping the body of Christ. And each one was just as important as the other. We can't get to a place where when we look at the gifts that God has given people in the church as one being more important than the other because they all build together. I don't know what your gift is, but I do know this, that you have one. Maybe you have more than one. Now, there are things that will cause us to be hindered in the use of our gifts. We can't worry what other people think. 
Because if we worry what other people think about our gift, it could cause us not to use our gift. I don't know that I want to do that because somebody might... It doesn't matter. If that's the gift that God gave you, then you need to use it. Well, I'm not very good at it. Then hone your gift. Work on your gift. Ask God to help you to increase your ability with that gift. If it's a gift of service, then God, give me the strength. I, I just, I'm so tired, I just don't have the ability to do this. But I know that you can give me strength to do it because this is something that needs to be done. It's a service. If it's a gift of, of speaking, God, take away the timidness. Help me to be able to stand up and say what you want me to say wherever you want me to say it. I'm a shy person. Sure I am. When I get around people I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm shy. I don't like, I'm not a person to go out at a, a party or something and just, you know, be the, the social butterfly that just jumps around from person to person. No, I, I kind of just stay by myself. So for me to do what I do here is sometimes it's difficult. It was difficult for me to ever agree to doing this type of thing. But I realized that through a lot of people telling me this and a lot of urging from the Spirit to finally say, David, if that's what God has placed you to do at this point in your life, then you need to just go do it. Just go do it. If God has given you the gift, He will give you the ability to, to carry out that gift. Try it. Sister Burrell, God bless her, she's been on me for... 12 years. Between her and God, I about got to the place where I'm listening. We might allow those people that, that, that are living the life that we used to live. If we're not careful, we can allow them to stop us from using our gift because what they might say. You know what? It doesn't matter what they might say. Let's just throw this in. I taught at a recent conference here, and I made the statement at the beginning of my, at the seminar I was teaching, speaking at, that I'm not a preacher and went through a bunch of other stuff. And Brother Pennington, pastor of the church in Tampa, took me aside that night and kind of set me down and said, I want to tell you something. You said you're not a preacher. He said, I'm not going to tell you you are. He said, but I'm going to tell you that you are a minister. Amen. Okay, I can live with that. I can live with that. I was just looking for the right word. He said, because God has given you an ability to do something that everybody doesn't have. And as I've thought about that, and then I'm, I'm studying on these gifts, and I see all of these different things, the teaching and those kind of things, and I realize, David, why aren't you using what God gave you more than what you're using it for? So I, I agreed. Brother Pennington came back to me again, and he said, I want you to come over to, to my church one Sunday morning and speak. And I'm, I don't do that. 
I already checked with your pastor and he okay. Well, okay. I'll do that. And I, I had dinner with Brother and Sister Pennington last night. Ruthie and I did. And um, I told him when we sat down, I said, I just want you to know, you've ruined me. He said, what do you mean I ruined you? And he got this real concerned look on his face. And I said, once I agreed to come speak at your church, I decided that some of this other stuff I've been putting off, putting off, I just go ahead and do it too. So in August, I've decided I'm going to, to Africa, to the Congo, where Mundadi that was here last year, uh, where he pastors. I really wasn't sure what I was going to be doing, but I told him that I would go. And I got an email from him. And I say this because I'm asking for your prayers. I got an email from him this past week and told him that, that I was coming in August and, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And he said he knew exactly what I was going to do. He said, um, every morning you'll be speaking to the pastors in this area and in the afternoons you'll be holding crusades. Well, that wasn't what I signed up for. <laughs> but i got to tell you this. If God has called me to do something, then I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is that if God has called me, it'll be okay. Am I scared? You betcha. I'm as scared of, of getting up and speaking as I am of going to this third world country. But I'm going to do it, God willing. One of the things I said we can't do is to let those that from the life we used to live impede us. The other thing is we can't let other believers stop us from going out and doing what God's called us to do either. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Peter mentioned that we should do these things without grumbling. In the story that I told about the waiter, the key to all of these things happening is that the person took it upon himself to get up and do what their gift was. Nobody had to tell them. They were motivated on their own. And they were motivated by the need. And Peter said we should do these things without grumbling. And it wasn't about, oh man, can you believe this guy did this? Right here in the middle of this banquet, now I'm going to have to get up and use my gift. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't that at all. It was, okay, what can I do? Let me see. And everybody jumped into action. And that's the way that the body of Christ should be. That's the way that a church should be so that it can grow and become what God wants it to be. Is that everybody has a gift. They know what their gift is. They've worked at this gift. And as things come up, they take care of it. Why? 
so that the person that has the other gift can do their part. person that has the other gift can do their part. And the first thing you know, you see growth and you see new people coming in and you see those people going to these people and teaching them and you see it increase and it grows. That's why the gifts are there. Not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the church, the kingdom of God. We need to find what those gifts are that we're supposed to possess and exercise them for the kingdom. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul was saying, I want you to know about these gifts. I want you to know what they are. I want you to know what they can do. And I want you to, to be familiar with these things. And I believe what he's saying is we need to look through the areas of our life that God seems to be able to work through the best and see what gift relates to that. What do I do? What, what are some of the things that I do that kind of come natural that one of these gifts that fits into one of these gifts? Because, see, if it's something that comes natural to you, you'll be better at it. If it's a speaking gift and you have this natural talent to speak, then maybe that's what your gift is. If you have this gift of service and you just know how to do things, you just you can you could build a, a spaceship out of a box of paper clips. If that's you, then there's this gift for you. What are the things that you have in your life that fit with the gifts? Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 4, that there are many gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but here's the key, but the same Spirit. They are all equal in importance because it takes all of them to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in the world. And here's the key. No one can do it all, but together through Christ, we can do all things. God bless you.